Hello, and welcome to the Bread and Butter Bible Podcast. I'm Casey. And I'm Kelsey. And as you can tell, Kelsey is back among the living. (laughs) Back from the dead. I'm feeling much better, so I get to join on this podcast again. And while I was out, Casey covered First John historical background. So do you want to give a little bit of a recap? Yeah, you know, the only recap that I would give is just to remind everyone of the main idea of First John, which can really be found in First John 5.13, which says... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So First John is all about knowing who Jesus is, that he is who he says he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you have eternal life. Um, in case you didn't hear a whistling sound, I want to point out that there might be some whistling sounds throughout this podcast. Um, we are still in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and we are recording in a lovely little house, but sometimes the wind will cause the windows to whistle. Um, Lots of wind. Yeah, there's high velocity winds here. And on that note, if any one of our listeners would be so kind as to desire to sponsor us for any sort of semi-professional recording equipment, <laughs> uh, that would just be so life-changing for us, and that would really help this part of our ministry, which is all about giving back to our supporters. One of the main reasons that we started this podcast was to give back to the people who support us in missions and to share a little bit of what we actually do. With Mm -hmm. that, we are committed to ending Bible illiteracy, and we want to do our little part in that gigantic goal. So let me explain that really quick, and then we'll jump into 1 John. Or do you want to explain it, Kelsey? What is Bible illiteracy? Bible illiteracy is the general idea that there are many people that do have Bibles, maybe multiple Bibles, translations, many people at least in North America that do, but even other places around the world, and not just distributing Bibles, which is highly important for those that do not have uh, a copy of the Bible in their own language, but also the ability to engage with the Bible. So biblical literacy is referring to that engagement with the word, understanding God's word and the different concepts of scripture showing this overarching story of redemption that happens. Yeah. And to put that in fewer words, because that's always helpful to hear the long explanation, a short one, to put that in fewer words, uh, we have observed and scholars have observed that there are lots of people who are Christians but don't really know what the Bible says, what it means, or how to apply it. Um, There are lots of people who feel like the Bible can be very confusing, and so we want to help people with that and make it less confusing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so commercial break over. (laughs) Let's dive into 1 John. Today we're going to be discussing 1 John... 1 verse 1 through 2 verse 6 and this is going to be really the first segment of John what we mean when we say segment is it's uh, what I would say is a clump of unified thoughts yes so it's the first cohesive thought that the author is making in the text and there's lots of smaller points that are in that and that's what we're going to draw out and explore today exactly so the big idea here ends at 2 6 first john 2 6 we're reading from esv and that verse says whoever says he abides in him in jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked 
So that's kind of the big idea that John's going to make, but he starts uh, way, 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 way back in time. Mm -hmm. And the way that we're going to have this discussion, in case you're new to this podcast, is we are just going to talk about observations that we made, and we're going to interpret our observations in light of the historical background that we noted last week. So, yeah. If you haven't listened to that podcast, First John Part 1, I would really encourage you to go back and do that. You'll find that our, a lot of our interpretations will end up um, being clarified by First John 5.13, which is the idea that John's writing so that the readers or his audience may know Jesus is who he says he is, mm -hmm. and by doing so they may have eternal life in Christ. So we're beginning in 1 verse 1, that first paragraph, and it takes us right back to the beginning very literally, and it says that in the first verse. So we'll just read a small part of it and then discuss one of the things that we saw as we were reading it. And of course, there's always more things that you can observe as you're going through scripture, but here's just one one thing that we saw in the first paragraph. So beginning in verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest and have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with us or which was with the father and was made manifest to us. So when I first read this paragraph, there's a few things that are repeated quite often. So manifest, that which was made manifest, you have the idea of seen and touched and heard, looked upon. What do you think about those terms being repeated? The seen, heard, looked? Yeah, that's a good question. I immediately always go back to the question that a lot of people actually ask about the Bible, um, which is how do you know that this, the words in this book are valid at all? Uh, and the answer to that is, oh, well, it's written largely by eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. So when John's saying we have seen, we have touched, we have heard, right here in 1 John, uh, 1 1 through 4 he's just saying i'm an eyewitness and, mm -hmm. and actually he's not just saying that that's highly important he's yes. saying that i'm an eyewitness and so are the people that i'm with and that's actually interesting that he uses the pronoun we mm -hmm. because who would who would we be well we refers to in this context probably people that even weren't there with <laughs> the death and resurrection of Jesus. So technically, they haven't physically seen Christ. But a big theme that Paul, not Paul, John, Jesus, that's going to happen Pause. sometimes. Paul does the same thing. <laughs> Paul does the same thing. But with John, he also imparts this idea of witness to his audience that as the 12 disciples, others that were at the cross witnessed this happen so that witness is actually passed on to the church by believing and by faith you are a true witness of god of this life truth made manifest in jesus and another important point to this that relates to the historical background when it's talking about having heard seen touched and this is referring to john having done this and other disciples as well like we discussed it also dips into some of the false ideas about who christ is in that time so if you remember back to our historical background part of first john there were several ideas either that jesus was simply an illusion only spiritual there's not that real physicality that's Docetism. Yes. And then Serinthianism would think that, uh, as coined by Serinthus, 
that the, quote, spirit of Christ descended upon Jesus at the baptism, like a dove, think of that imagery, and then left him at the crucifixion, the death. So thinking that God, man, 100% God, 100% man doesn't exist. That was the ideology about Christ that was starting to surface in this time that is really dangerous to faith. And John makes it very clear through this paragraph and onward that that is actually our hope and the truth and light of life is that Jesus became man, which made him the truth and the light, which he already was too. Uh, but the fact that he died and rose again, fully God and fully man is the hope. That's what makes him the propitiation, which we'll talk about a bit in to verse two that's going to come up so he introduces quite a few ideas with just a few words in the first paragraph but it's so important to understand that jesus was not just spirit not just spiritual which can be looked at as very highly in this time and even today things that seem really spiritual but the truth and the fullness is really in the fact that jesus was fully god and fully man and what it seems like it says in one verse one is he was there at the beginning at the dawn of creation and there's different ways that you can look at that verse too at that at one verse time, one time element beginning yes okay so let's just recap some of what you said you talked about how john's addressing docetism which is the belief that jesus was a fully just a spirit a phantasm um, and then john's also addressing serenthianism one thing i want to be clear about and i'm not sure i actually talked about this in our last episode those heresies they would have arisen right around the time john's writing this yes so likely they would have arisen around the around the late 90s to early 100s a.d so the turn of the first century and then what you're saying here is John, he's simply saying he is an eyewitness, which is a huge statement, but he's also addressing these heresies. And he's not doing it by tearing down Serenthus, who is the person who <laughs> coined Serenthianism. Um, and Serenthianism is the belief that Jesus was just a man. There was nothing divine about him. So, so John's not tearing down Serenthus or the Docetists who believe that Jesus is just a phantasm. Instead, John is saying, oh, look at the character of Jesus. And it's, it's like when you're deciphering if a dollar bill is counterfeit. You're comparing it to the real thing. Mm -hmm. But really, the experts, they just spend a lot of time looking at the real thing. So John is saying... Hey, look, I've seen Jesus. Look at the real thing. Look at the real thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't listen to these heresies. Yeah, and you, he explains that, and if you think through this, saying, like, you can't just touch a spirit. <laughs> like, it, it's really that simple. You, the senses, looking, seeing, hearing, that involves the fact that Jesus was fully man while being fully God. And he'll keep reinforcing that point yes. later. And then there's also one thing that we talked about, and it, it could slide through the cracks right now, but I want to bring it up, actually, this pronoun we. So Kelsey and I are saying that it's really, really important that John is stating, I have touched Jesus, I've seen him, I've talked to him, and I also know that he is the Messiah from, like, this... He's fully spiritual. He's fully God. He's fully man. Mm -hmm. But John's also saying, we, we have seen. And that's in reference to probably people like Polycarp, John's younger disciple, who didn't actually see Jesus die and resurrect. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul says similar things in books like Romans. What what John is doing here is he's validating that he literally walked with Jesus. But anyone who has faith, who believes Jesus is who he says he is, has become a witness to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's how the witness is passed on. Do you have anything to say about that? 
Yeah, so it's the people who first literally saw Christ, like John himself, and he would be the last living eyewitness, most likely, at this point in time. But he groups the church along with that as well, that when they take faith and believe, they're part of this true witness of who Christ is. And that idea, the church and what he'll call it as fellowship, is going to continue on through the next paragraph and afterwards in the chapter two. That the fellowship, so both, <laughs> there's that whistle, so both fellowship that we have with God and with each other, that is what it means to walk in the light or walk in truth, is that you're walking in fellowship. Yeah. Walking in fellowship. And walking in fellowship means a fellowship of faithful believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's let's just move through the content here. Move through some observations. So some things that you pointed out from John 1, 1 through 1, 4 is that from the beginning, you think that's the beginning of time. I think so. so yeah. The word that John has heard, seen and so on has been manifested and because it's been manifested there's no fellowship that's kind of the whole paragraph right yeah what i think the word beginning is representing is actually different than what kelsey thinks so in one one john saying that which was heard from the beginning i think that here john is referring to the beginning of the gospel because he's saying that which we was heard from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched so it seems like john is talking about the time where he he started to interact with this word and we'll we'll talk about that too. John calls Jesus the Word here in First John. Mm-hmm. Same thing in John. But what we're focusing on right now is the beginning. So Kelsey and I have different opinions about this, and actually, so does the uh, epitome of scholars. <laughs> well, that's the wrong word. The collective of scholars from yeah. early church history until till now. Yep, so it's fine to have different views on what exactly it's referring to. It doesn't seem like it's entirely clear off the top. So either way, what you're taking in from this paragraph is that main point of fellowship, being a witness of the truth, which is that we have seen God. He's not just this spirit Jesus is not just the spirit, but he came in the flesh, and that's what brings about what's going to be discussed yeah. next. Kelsey, I think it'd be really beneficial for the people that are listening if we maybe briefly talk through how we come to our different interpretations. So you're interpreting John saying, we have heard this from the beginning as the beginning of time. Why do you think that? And then I'll explain why I think something else. Yep, so in other of John's writings, I'm thinking of the Gospel of John. The beginning in John chapter 1, that first paragraph that happens in the Gospel, it will say the word from the beginning. And you can even flip there just to see. I'll read it. Here's some pages. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse yes. 2, he was in the beginning with God. Clearly talking about the beginning of time. Yes. And I'm also thinking of other spots in scripture where it refers to this idea of the beginning or what was at the beginning. And it usually refers to God himself, the Trinity, being present since the beginning. So I'm also thinking of Colossians chapter 1, uh, him who was at the beginning, Jesus who holds all things together. That's where I get the idea from that this might be referring to just the idea of the beginning of time. Christ was at the beginning, always there, always has been, fully God, but yet he came in the flesh. Yeah, and so all this is going to go cross-reference back to Genesis 1-1, right? Yes. In the beginning, God. Yes. Yeah. And for you, where do you get the idea? The 
the difference in interpretation comes from so so Kelsey is looking more at cross references, which we both do that quite a bit actually to come to interpretations. In this instance, I'm I'm looking more at just what John is saying here. So it seems like John is saying, in the beginning we heard, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon and have touched. So it, it seems like John's talking about from the time that we participated in the gospel, from the time that we were able to see the gospel, which I'm, the term that I'm using, I'm, it, it sounds kind of funny, but what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that John is saying, from the beginning of the gospel, we got to see and hear and touch Jesus. And that just means a, another way, a more elaborate way to say that is from the beginning of God fulfilling the Davidic covenant, that Jesus Christ, the son of David, 2 Samuel 7, 13 through 14, Jesus Christ, son of David, uh, became the eternal king and established the eternal kingdom. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, it says, this is God speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So that's, that's what I think, that, that's what I'm referring to when I'm saying the gospel, and when I'm asserting that, that John is suggesting from the beginning of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, the eternal king, who mm -hmm. that that happened, the the eternal kingdom was inaugurated or it began when Jesus rose from the dead. So upon his death on the cross, he paid for sin, he became the sacrifice. And then upon his resurrection, he started the eternal kingdom. Um, by the way, 2 Samuel 7, that takes place around like 1000 BC, and John is writing around, uh, what, 100 AD. Yeah, like 90 to 100. It's not certain the exact time. Yeah, so there's about an 1100 year difference, and it's just a beautiful thing that John is doing, possibly like looking back on this promise. Either way, I think it it stands that Jesus is God from the beginning. Now, what I do think, I think that John kind of elaborates on that point, what Kelsey is saying, um, that, that he's referring back to the beginning of time. I think that John actually starts to do that in verse two, when he's saying the life was made manifest, we have seen it, we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life that's talking about Jesus. John's just using the description of Jesus to talk about Jesus. So when he says, we proclaim the eternal life in, in 1 John 1 verse 2, then he says, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he's, he's saying the eternal life, the, the Son, was with the Father and then he became flesh. He was manifest to us. This sounds a lot like First John, or like, like John 1-1, one, one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, now we're going to pick up into one of the next points that will tie back into what we've been discussing for a while. I think it's just such an important part to understanding John's purpose of writing is really digging into especially that first verse. And another word, not to use puns, but to use puns, another word that comes up here is the idea of word. So there's actually two different meanings that we're going to talk about. So this comes up in 1 verse 1. It says concerning the word of life at the end of verse 1. In 1 verse 10, if we say that we have sinned, if we say, sorry, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then again in 2 verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. So what we'll see is the meaning of word and the original Greek, what it would have been, actually carries two different meanings. And especially that first mention is really significant and repeated idea in John's writings. So Casey, would you like to unpack what John means by saying word in that first mention? 
Yeah, yeah, and I'll just uh, give a little disclaimer. We're not Greek experts, but it's really easy to figure out the different meanings, the definitions of the words that John is using, even by the context of the English Bible. Yeah. So using the context of the English Bible will kind of explain the really basic Greek differences. But yeah, we're not Greek experts. So your question again? Yeah, so in chapter 1, that first verse, what does John mean when he refers to word? And again, we only use Greek when it really comes up as a theological necessity to be able to talk about. So we don't recommend doing this with every word to see what the Greek is and that. These are things that across scholarship are discussed, so we like to bring them up. So one verse one. One verse one, when it says that which we have seen uh, with our eyes, we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, does that sound like John is personifying word concerning I think the so word, because right? he previously he's saying what we've seen and touched and heard and I don't think he's talking about some literal words and pages yeah I think he's talking about something else the word it seems so that's gonna be the word logos and that's actually different from the word in 1 verse 10 where it says, if we say we have sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's commandment. And mm -hmm. the same thing, that commandment is used in 2 verse 5, I think. Yeah, yes, it's very similar. Five. By the context, it seems very clear that it's talking about a commandment. Like if we think of the Ten Commandments or the greatest commandment in the gospels, love God, love one another. It makes it clear that it's talking about literal words, like the words of Jesus and the commandment. Yeah. So the, the Greek word for lo, like uh, one five word is logos or logos. Um, we are not experts, right? And, and one the, verse one, actually. Oh yeah, sorry. The Greek word for one one, the word of life is logos. The Greek word for 1 verse 10 is rhema. So that's rhema, like a command. Um, so the question here is, why is John using the word logos in 1-1? Mm -hmm. What's the connotation and what's the connection that logos has through the rest of this segment, 1-1 through 2-6? And how does it tie into 5-13? which says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Which is our main idea of the book. Yeah. So how does Logos relate to that? Um, and just how is John using it? So that's the question we'll unpack first. How is John using the word Logos? What does it mean? So do you know where the word Logos comes from? Logos, so we have the Greek that this is written in, and Greek was a language that most people spoke in this time, and it has a certain meaning for the Greek context. So Logos, at its most basic meaning, and then you can unpack a bit more, is referring to wisdom, like the, the wisdom, the word, the ideal understanding and logic. Logic is, I think, the closest word that it would be yeah. that holds things together. So the highest logic or understanding. Yeah, the highest logic or understanding. So logos is a Greek word that's used in, in contextualizing the Greek paradigm. If you've ever heard of Stoicism, this is a Greek ideal. Um, Having that, the highest logic or understanding. Yeah, so stoic doesn't just mean that you're like sad or monotone. Whatever. Yeah, stoic actually means that you have patience and logic and high reasoning. Okay, so so what what the Greek word logos means is that the closest definition that I would say so that you can actually like really imagine this is something like eternal wisdom. So logos equals eternal wisdom. And that's 
That's, sounds a lot like God. Sounds a lot like God. <laughs> so people like Alexander the Great, a, a, a great and formidable conqueror around 300 BC, uh, he was a Stoic and he believed that Logos, that eternal wisdom, was his guide to conquering. Hmm. So this is just the the Greek mindset, right? If you have Logos, then you have wisdom. And if you have wisdom, then you'll be able to succeed in anything you put your hands to in life. And that's really what it comes down to. If you have wisdom, you'll be able to succeed. So John's using this term, which which really in the Greek, it's a it's the same idea. It's a logos is a personification of eternal wisdom, or it's a very, very high virtue. Um, if you can connect as a Greek with eternal wisdom, then you'll succeed in mm-hmm. the physical world. And so John's using that idea, and he's actually saying eternal wisdom is a person, it's Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, and, and actually there's some scriptural backing for this so proverbs actually talks about wisdom as a person Mm -hmm. and we we can talk about this really quick because i think it's actually really really helpful in understanding what john is fully saying here is that in proverbs 31 proverbs 31 is part of it proverbs chapter 1 and then proverbs 8 coincidentally we are at 31 minutes in this podcast right now yeah, are you trying to tell me to wrap it up? No, I'm just saying it's funny. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll walk through John's understanding, or what was very likely John's understanding of, of this word logos. So again, logos just means eternal wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 1, what is wisdom doing? Do you know? I think wisdom is speaking. Yes. Yes. So wisdom is speaking in a public place it says wisdom cries out in the streets yes and you can either listen to her and succeed or you can not listen to her and be a fool do things your own way look dumb while doing it wow that was really blunt (laughs) sorry yeah so that's actually the message of proverbs chapter one kind of though it's like oh if you listen to wisdom you'll succeed and if you don't then you're not gonna be very well liked and you're not gonna succeed so that's, that's what it is. Proverbs chapter 1 also affirms that wisdom comes from God. Mm-hmm. If you skip over to chapter 8, you discover that, that wisdom was an entity that was with God when he was creating. And it was creating hmm. with Yahweh. How interesting. Kind of sounds a lot like Logos, the ultimate understanding, logic, and Jesus putting this together, holding yeah. the universe together. Yeah. Okay, so now let's tie this into Proverbs chapter 31. So a lot of people think that Proverbs 31 is about what? Proverbs 31 is about being a Proverbs 31 woman. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And perfect lady. Okay, can you say that again? The perfect lady. The Proverbs 31 wife. Yes. Yeah. We'll unpack this more in the future, but for right now, I'm going to turn over a very complicated stone for maybe some of our listeners. (laughs) So Proverbs 31 is not just about being a Proverbs 31 wife. The whole message of Proverbs is what, Kelsey? Starting in chapter one. Walking with wisdom, walking in righteousness and not in evil. It kind of coincides with some ideas in the Psalms in that way. But walking with wisdom, practicing it, uh, really equating that to walking with God. If you especially pull that towards what John says here in 1 John, walking with wisdom is walking in truth. It's walking in light. So all of Proverbs is actually about walking with wisdom and then proverbs 31 it's like oh here's the woman that you should marry and it just so happens that all of the traits of this woman are actually the traits of wisdom mm-hmm. how strange is that mm-hmm. wow so proverbs 31 does have two meanings 
likely, this is what a lot of scholars have concluded, not just us. We're not making this up. Um, Proverbs 31 likely has two meanings. One is that you should marry a spouse who is wise and who has walked with wisdom. Two, that you should become so acquainted with wisdom who was with God in the beginning, Proverbs chapter eight. Mm -hmm. You should become so acquainted with wisdom that you would marry wisdom and take it with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Wow. And who's described as wisdom in First John? It's Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is the Logos, the eternal wisdom. So that's some of the context for the meaning of Logos. Logos is eternal wisdom. It was with God from the beginning of time. And now John has seen, heard, and touched Okay, and this actually ties into something really interesting and fascinating that also will take us on a journey through the Old Testament if we let it. But 2-2, Jesus, the Logos, is our propitiation. So I don't know if we want to get to this now or if we want to go through 1, 5 through 10 first. Well, I think that we could talk a little bit about 5 through 10 and then move straight into chapter 2. Because what follows in 5 through 10 is quite simple and a lot of what we've just talked about it equates that in verse five and onward with this message which is that which is from the beginning we've heard seen touched etc jesus himself this wisdom manifest always has been always will be um that message is being proclaimed to them that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all and we've talked a little bit about fellowship so far with that idea of that which we've seen and heard, that it's not just John, somebody who literally physically saw Jesus, but everyone that believes and has life and clings to Jesus has this witness and testimony. And what that brings in is the idea of fellowship. So in the following verses, verses 6 through 7, I'll just read them. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And in the blood of Jesus and his sin, he cleanses us from all sin. So what kinds of fellowship are mentioned here? There's two. There's fellowship with God the Father and with one another. Yeah. God the Father and Jesus Christ and with one another. So that fellowship, the message is not just that personal relationship with Christ, which is highly important, of course. It's absolutely important and John notes it. But fellowship also means, and walking in the light means walking together. Walking together. Yes. In where? In the light. Yeah, in the light, in Jesus, in the truth of this message that's being unpacked here. And John will repeat with a few conditional statements that continue onward. Uh, But that is one of the main things in this paragraph and these conditional statements kind of continue in chapter two. But really it's getting down to fellowship is one of the key parts of what it means to walk in the light and in truth. You know, this actually reminds me of a stark connection well to proverbs so it seems like we can i'm just going to go ahead and make the connection okay the whole purpose of the proverbs it was written by roughly three authors we don't know exactly and it was compiled for the church to, to teach people the community of god how to walk with wisdom so the whole purpose was that you have like the person of God's wisdom really uplifting the church. Mm -hmm. So think of two people. Think of the ancient church, like Israel, the ancient church. That's one person. That's a bride. And think of Yahweh, who is the... When I say Yahweh, I'm referring to God, who is the bridegroom. So this is is it. Like God in Proverbs is showing people how, how... to live a life pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that the kingdom of God um, is is being expressed when people follow proverbial commands 
to to like be wise and loving and kind to each other then if you do that then you're you're sharing the kingdom of god on earth right Mm -hmm. so same idea here like if we are in the light then oh my gosh you have this bride and then you have the bridegroom as Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So some of you may be confused right now because Proverbs 31 is about marrying a woman. Um, but what I'm connecting here is just these, these ideas of being uh, a betrothed or a spouse to the, the God of the universe. Yeah. And wisdom is walked out relationally, like both in that image that you're describing, the bride and the the bridegroom, and thinking about the bride is the church altogether. It's not one individual. It's all of us united as the church in fellowship are the bride of Christ. So wisdom is meant to be walked out relationally. Truth and the gospel is meant to be walked out relationally. Yeah, exactly. And... It, in case anyone's confused, I'm, I'm simply suggesting that the whole church is connected and John's kind of presenting this idea of the whole church is one unified body. So we, the whole church of the world, has fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, in verse, which verse is that? Um, in verse seven and verse six. Yeah. yeah, six and seven. So we're all connected to God. This sounds a lot like Ephesians, you know, 2, starting at verse 11, talking about, you know, Jesus being the foundation, the cornerstone, and everyone's, he's, he's all around the church, his spirit is within the church, mm-hmm. you know, so Paul describes similar things as well. But let's, let's go ahead and move on. Um, it, I think that we should move on into propitiation. Because uh, I think you kind of covered some of those if-then statements in 1, 5, yeah. and 10. They become pretty self-explanatory as you read them for sure. It's essentially, if you look at just verse 8 and 10, just to quickly summarize it, it brings up the idea of truth and walking um, previously in sin. And really simply how we look at this when it says, if we confess sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And it'll give like the contrary of what happens. That if you deny that you have sinned and don't need Christ, then obviously that's not walking in the truth. It becomes very simple. Yeah. Uh, but it's in the context of fellowship, the church walking in the light together. So let's look at chapter two and that idea of propitiation to wrap things up. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be comparing or or interpreting verse eight and uh, one eight and two two kind of together here. So if we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Then two, verse two, Jesus is our propitiation for our sins, not only for ours also, but for the sins of the whole world. Yes. So. Relational, whole world. Relational, yes. But it almost sounds, and you're kind of drawing this out, like you're portraying this this idea that it sounds like John's presenting two conflicting ideas. If we say we haven't sinned, we're a liar. But yes. Jesus is our propitiation. He makes us righteous. And John's also acknowledging if you do sin, confess yeah. <laughs> at the same time. So it's drawing those two ideas together. You have to acknowledge that you need propitiation, and we'll explain a bit of what that means. You need Jesus in the first place. But as you continue to walk in truth in light and not in darkness you have to keep exposing things to the light exactly exactly so the john's just sharing the gospel that's a way to look at this yeah humanity cannot cleanse themselves we have a sin problem we have a death problem yes. but in particular since the fall what john is affer- uh, asserting is that we we have a sin problem mm-hmm it's like humanity has a sin problem and how it's pictured is a death problem, the consequences of sin. Humanity without Jesus is death and deadly and like a dead man walking, essentially. Yes. So, uh, 1-8, we can't say that we have no sin. Yeah. That's foolish. If we're the walking dead, basically, we yeah. can't say that we're not and that we're fine and have life without Christ when Christ was there when life was created. 
Yeah. <laughs> this actually reminds me of a topic that we can get into later. I'll touch on it now. But the unforgivable sin is denying Christ. Really, yeah. it's like denying that you need a Messiah. Like, wow, okay, so you're... Saying you don't need any part in Christ and what he has accomplished. Yeah. The fellowship that we have with him yeah. and with the church. And in Mark, I don't remember which chapter, uh, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees, I believe, and he reveals to them that the unforgivable sin is basically like not having faith in him. It's not accepting him as the Messiah. It's trying to to say that the, the law is going to be salvation. And I can actually end this thought real quickly by saying, you know, Galatians 2, Paul says the law was just a guardian. The law was not alive. It didn't have a will to save, but Jesus does. So the, the law was never meant for salvation it was always sacrifice which which we even see in leviticus 16 the day of atonement always sacrifice and jesus once and for all time was the atonement for our sins um, and atonement is actually one of these it's it's related to to propitiation okay mm -hmm. so let's let's start to unpack that unless you have something that you want to go ahead okay so actually, I was going to ask you in 1 John 2, verse 2, when John's saying, Jesus is our propitiation for our sins, what does that word propitiation mean? Yes, so this is another case where in scholarship, in the theology of certain passages in the Bible, um, there's discussion about what certain words mean unpacked in the Greek. And English to Greek, sometimes it takes a few words to actually show the fullness of something, and English doesn't have the correct, not necessarily not correct, but it takes several words to say one thing in the Greek, you could say. So propitiation yeah. carries three different meanings in the English. So if you were to look at other translations, you'll see this present. You might see it says atonement instead of propitiation. You might see that it says expiation, which means removal of guilt. So propitiation is the word hilasterion in Greek. Again, I'm not a Greek speaker, but what that refers to is number one, the attitude of the judge, which is hilariously happy. God is now joyous over you. Second, it means expiation, which is the removal of guilt. You're no longer guilty. And third, it refers to atonement, which is the removal of sin, yes, but being made at one atonement with God. So the judge, the Lord, is happy with you. He's hysterically happy. Why? Your guilt has been removed. He sees the righteousness of his son now. And what does that invoke? You have right relationship at oneness with God because guilt has been removed. You now carry the righteousness of Jesus. Yeah, so excuse the whistling again. <laughs> if anyone wants to sponsor us for semi-professional recording <laughs> equipment, we would love that. It would make it easier to serve you. <laughs> so so humbling to ask this as we're explaining propitiation. So propitiation means God is now a happy judge because Jesus Christ removed your sin and Jesus Christ has made you at one with God yes. via sending the Holy Spirit. So because guilt is removed, God's spirit can be within you. So right now in this present age, you are one with God. Yes. Even though the earth is not yet made new, Even creation though we can hasn't still... been sin yeah yeah creation hasn't been redeemed fully um and we can talk about that idea in another podcast that's a huge can of worms that we can't open so when john is saying in one verse eight if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us kelsey who is the truth the truth is jesus okay wow so that's a personification again and then Two eight or two verse two, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. So this is the the truth. 
we have faith in Jesus and he removes and he, he, he takes guilt away from us. Mm-hmm. And he does that for the whole world, as verse 2 says. Um, and then we get to some really um, assuring statements in 2 verse 3 and 2 verse 5. John says, we're reading from the ESV, John says things like this. And by this, we know that we have come to know Jesus. That's two, three, two, five, about midway through the verse. John says, by this, we know that we are in Jesus. Okay, so really, really assuring, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how you can know. It's just this simple. So two, three, I think it's actually pretty self-explanatory. John's saying, by this, we know that we have come to know Jesus. If we keep his commandments... Holy smokes, is that difficult? How do we keep the commandments? What are, the, what are his commandments? Well, his commandments, first the Gospels, so you could look at, um, let's see, the Sermon on the Mount and the greatest commandment, love God, love one another. And his commandment, John's going to unpack this actually in the next segment that we'll look at next mm-hmm. podcast, but the new commandment is essentially an old commandment and that's love God, love one another walk in the truth yeah so john makes it very simple what to do it's recognizing who jesus is he's the word he's not just spirit but he's flesh and further on what has he done he has been propitiation he's removed our guilt the judge is happy we have at one relationship with god and by walking in that you have fellowship with him you can walk in his commandments you can walk in the light so it's not meant to be super complicated even as we look into a few of these definitions to see a little bit more of what's being implied with what's said the message is really simple love god love one another walk in the light walk in fellowship yeah that's it that's your assurance you're good yeah so that's that's verse three that's if you do that, you you know that you've come to know him. And you're kind of bleeding into verse uh, 5 and 6 now, right? So verse 5 about midway through says, By this we know that we are in Christ. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which Christ walked. Um, you know, the ESV just has pronouns. He, like, you know that you are in him. Mm-hmm. Walk in the way in which he walked. So I'm just filling in those words with Jesus' name. But you know that you're in Christ if you walk like him. So you, you just a moment ago, Kelsey, you brought up some really fascinating point. I think that's going to carry through the rest of this epistle, the rest of 1 John. And it, we'll even see this idea evident in 2 and 3 John. The idea is that there is no separation between what two things, Kelsey? Between... Oh gosh, there's a few different things. No separation in between the truth and love. Exactly. Comes yeah. up a lot. Yeah. So this is this is it. Like love cannot be separated or distinguished. Like it, no, I mean just love goes hand in hand with truth. There is yes. one true love and it's Jesus. Yeah, you can't love people while walking in lies. Yeah. yeah. And so this actually oof, it brings us to some hardcore discussion and application which we'll just dip our toes into and i think this is where we'll where we will like bring our application and and land the plane for this episode um so if there's no separation between love and truth what does that mean that means gosh that can mean a lot of things but it's not loving to not share the truth with someone. So yeah. what is the truth? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's not loving to withhold that from people. Yeah. So it's not loving to withhold the gospel. It's yeah. also... It might feel intrusive sometimes. I think that's a lot of what we struggle with today or individuals sharing the gospel with family members, let's say strangers even, and requiring the boldness to do that. But is it loving to not share the truth? to not share Jesus with someone. No, it's not. And that can be very convicting. I think as we look at, have we been sharing 
Jesus with the world, with the world that Christ died for? Do they know that they have fellowship with him in that? Do they know what happens if you don't share that? Yeah, and I think when it comes to the the second part of this, uh, 1 John 2, 5 and 6, you know that you're in Jesus if you walk the way he walked. So like if you're sharing the gospel and if you're walking like Jesus, if you're not changing his words. Um, so this is actually, you know, we're on the tip of a huge can of worms here, but when I'm saying that there is no separation between love and truth, that those things will always go hand in hand, we're, we're saying what we see from John is that John's asserting love and truth go hand in hand. So this means when, when we're saying the word love, this is actually a hot topic right now. People think of like, what is love? They're, they don't think about the love of God to <laughs> send his son to be propitiation for our sins. That's what John's talking about. But the, the implication of this also is like, what is love? What is marriage? What is okay? So like Jesus says that marriage is between a man and a woman. And today we have this super hot topic. Um, just so you know, if you are an LGBTQ plus listener, we love you with all of our hearts and we think that you should be our friend and we want to accept you. And that Jesus loves you with Jesus loves you. Everything. Yeah. yeah. We believe that Christ died for you. Christ died for you, yes. However, it's like the the hard question that you, you get to wrestle with is what does Jesus say love is, you know? Mm-hmm. Does he say it's between a man and a man or a woman and a woman? Or does he say it's between a man and a woman? And that brings in the idea of creation and design and what God in his wisdom designed. And I think that, gosh, you can't really go into this that much in just a few minutes. But no. I think once we get into other books that directly talk about this topic a bit more that that's when we'll start to unpack it but just some things to start thinking about at the start is what what did God design in his wisdom and yeah matching that up with what we see in scripture but acknowledging it can be an extremely difficult thing to talk about and even how to minister to people that this is their struggle and it's not a greater I mean, this kind of shows like what our thoughts are on this too, but one sin is not greater than another in that respect, which is an injustice I think that has happened in talking about this topic is that just as Christ has forgiveness for those who may not struggle with this, there's also the same amount of forgiveness with those that do struggle with this as well. It's not different. Yeah. So actually... um if we have retained any LGBTQ plus listeners, I, uh, I think what I'm about to say will make you feel even more invited and loved. Um, and if you are not an LGBTQ plus listener, you can, you can trust what we're about to say and please contact us if you have questions about this. Um, but for our LGBTQ plus community, we want to tell you that Jesus loves you, that you're invited into the church, that we love you right as you are, exactly mm-hmm. how you are. Um, I think that's a huge message here is that like there is love. And, and we actually want to apologize on behalf of the church. This is our, our application moment. We are sorry if the church has made you feel alienated, isolated, or anything other than just loved. Yeah, has um, not walked out the truth in love. Yeah, we find that oftentimes Westerners are are not very good at discipleship in in issues that where there is disagreement. Where we become paralyzed in what to say, getting stuck on only simply what we think is right and wrong rather than looking at the person that's in front of us. Yeah, so Jesus cares about people. Um, we affirm that marriage is, you know, mandated by God between a man and a woman. 
we can see that in scripture and we'll have an episode on this probably probably we'll talk about this at the end of first john because this is a topic that's so closely relevant in today's application to first john i think um but we want to say that you are loved and that you are welcome into the kingdom of god 100 percent um but the challenge for you is to look at truth, look at Jesus, and and ask him and, and walk through this with someone who is close and trustworthy. Um, ask, ask Jesus if you're taking liberties on what he says is truth and love. Mm-hmm. Work through that um, and work through it carefully and slowly and with, with an open heart, with a brave mind, because um, this, this stuff is super hard and you know, I think that what Kelsey and I don't want to see is um, people walking away from the kingdom of God, people walking away from Jesus because mm-hmm. they're hurt. Um, we validate that some people, maybe you should be hurt based on what you've been told or how it's been told to you. But I think that we just want to invite people into this relationship, into a conversation with Jesus mm-hmm. about what truth is. So I think that that wraps up our application from today. Yeah. And there's tons of things that you could apply what we've covered today to in your life, just as we kind of dipped into the LGBTQ topic with this. But there's many ways to walk out the truth in love. And there's many mindset adjustments that come up I think as we read the character of who Christ is and what he's done and the simplicity of the gospel that we looked at with Jesus is the word he's truth he's been there since the beginning we have fellowship with him with one another and we're meant to walk in the light with one another Mm -hmm. bringing things to the light continuing to walk out that righteousness that God has given us so I think that sums up what we've covered in First John today. A bit of a longer episode, but I think a good one just to look at some of the application and some of the deeper connections that you can make to other books, like with Wisdom to Proverbs or the Word to Proverbs and Genesis as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bread and Butter Bible Podcast. It's been wonderful to talk about First John with all of you. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Bye.